It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Leo Rezik, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder at Atmosphere, the world's leading streaming TV service for businesses. Leo graduated from Indiana University with a degree in management and pursued everything from screenwriting to personal banking before discovering digital advertising in its nascent stages in 2002. He cut his teeth on the agency side as a digital media ad ops manager in Hollywood at Crew Creative and then joined Guerrilla Nation, now Evolve Media, on the publisher side. Leo and his brother John started the Chive.com in 2008 as a one-stop shop for viral photos and videos. The brothers spun the idea for Atmosphere TV out of the Chive over beers at a local bar after realizing that the experience of consuming content on TVs outside the home could be elevated. Family has always come first for Leo. He's a proud father to two amazing children and husband to his wife Tiffany. He hails from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and now resides in Austin, Texas, by way of Chicago and Venice Beach, California. Leo Rezig, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brad. Glad to be here. Appreciate yeah, it. Glad to have you here, too. We've had a couple of con- uh, conversations and email exchanges over the last couple of months, so it's been great getting to know your organization. And you know, I want to talk a lot about Atmosphere. You guys are just doing some amazing things. But we kind of like to start in the beginning of the podcast, and, and that means your beginning. And uh, tell us a little bit about you, your early life, where you grew up, mom and dad, brothers and sisters. Yeah, well, I'm currently living in Austin, Texas, but that's by way of Venice Beach, by way of Chicago, and I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, which is uh, was supposed to be the Chicago of the Midwest. <laughs> they didn't win that award, but uh, I loved growing up there. My parents are still there. Um, I've got two younger sisters. One actually still lives in Fort Wayne. Uh, with four kids. So it's nice to be around the grandparents. Nice. And then my other sister uh, decided that she was going to move to London uh, a few months ago. So she's oh, wow. there. Yeah. Cool. And then I have one older brother who, uh, who's, you know, we're, we're Irish twins, 18 months apart. And we've pretty much been following each other everywhere uh, in life. And we've been business partners uh, on a number of ventures for about 15 years now. Including, including atmosphere from what I understand. Including atmosphere. Right? <laughs> right. Well, back to those early days, uh, mom and dad, what, what, what kind of professions they pursue? Yeah. So my dad worked at GE his entire adult life. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he, you don't find those kind of guys anymore, but uh, no. they're still out there. 
Yeah, it's funny. I could tell my, I could ask my employees who are, you know, some of them are on the younger side and be like, do you know what a pension is? <laughs> no. Uh, no. So, you know, uh, he, he was, uh, he did everything for the kids. Um, you know, he foregoing, he, he uh, denied going to moving the family all over the country to keep, to keep everyone intact. Uh, without was he in, in multiple divisions, uh, Leo, or what? what you know, you know? He, he was in lighting. Uh, lighting yeah. yeah. So sure. I'm, I know a little too much about lighting because of my dad. Uh, <laughs> and then my mom, uh, having come from a family of nine herself, oh my god! Uh, when you come from a, a family that big, you're doing, you're helping your parents raise the rest of the yeah. Wolf, it's the it's family. zone defense. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, and so yeah, with four kids, she was just an incredible stay-at-home mom and chauffeur and and peanut butter and jelly maker, uh, among other things, but. Yeah, they're, uh, I, I still see them quite often. They're very active, and my kid's awesome. life is great. Yeah. Dad's retired now, I, I presume. He did. He yeah. did for four or five years now at this point. Yep. Good for him. Well, you said you learned a lot about the the lighting business. What were some of the other inspirational things that you, you picked up from mom and dad growing up? You know, to be honest, I picked up entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, from them. I think a lot of people have a lot of great ideas all the time. Well, hold on. Let's just wait a minute. And that's interesting though, because if dad was 40 plus years with GE, not a particularly entrepreneurial, um, yeah. well, well, no, that's not true. GE is a very entrepreneurial yeah. company, but, but having that kind of corporate career that were there side gigs involved or how did you learn about entrepreneurism from a careerist like that? You know what? He always was trying things on the side. Ah, super. Cool. Yeah, he had a number of of, uh, of side small businesses of products that he he had created, and I thought that was the coolest thing. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of kids growing up they look at their parents and and they f- literally follow in their footsteps in a lot right. of respects, and they 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 see the life being played out as a quote unquote adult, and they're like, well, I guess I grow up, I go to school, I may or may not go to college, and I go get a job that that it doesn't matter if I like it or not, you're going to pay the bills. And so for, for my dad, you know, he had the job at GE as, as security with yeah. healthcare. And, and like I said, a pension when he retires. Um, but he was always uh, entertaining himself with, Dabbling. with ideas that yeah. he would bring to life. And that's where I think my brother and I got that bug. That's so awesome. That's awesome. Can, what what were some of the successes? What were, what were some of the side businesses? You know, I'll have to send you one of his products because it'll, it'll it'll probably be hung in your office. <laughs> he he created a, a poster with one million dots on it. Oh um, my gosh! And and if you think about that, it's a thousand squares of a thousand dots laid out, you know, in little rectangles. Um, and it's it's really kind of cool to look at what does some a million of something look like. Yeah. You know, we all have this thought like, oh, a million's a lot. And he put it in a poster. <laughs> if you look close enough, there's one million dots. So a lot of schools, as you can imagine, in classrooms hung, hung this poster up. Um, and it's just like, who comes up with that? Next? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And did he sell it or was it just something that he invented on the side to share with friends yeah. and family? Yeah, he sold it. He sold it to a lot of schools. Um, you know, it didn't. It wasn't a windfall of revenue, but it it, it was kind of fun. And I remember helping him roll posters in the basement. And uh, yeah, and, I mean, he everything from a laser tag company that never got off the ground and a, a tooth fairy pillow company. 
but yeah, he's like he's like you said, he, he dabbled in a lot. And How fun! Just kept his mind off of the of working at GE for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of school, how did you do in school? Not great. Uh, <laughs> you know your employees are going to listen to this you know that right like, yeah 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 <laughs> well i hope it makes them feel better if they good yeah. Yeah. yeah was it because you were bored and didn't find it interesting or excelled in the things you liked what, what, how do you uh, find that you know what i my parents were both very academically smart and yeah. i think I, I i got that gene um, right. you know I, I didn't go on to be a rocket scientist but school always came pretty easy to me and so you know, first through eighth grade, I, you know, I was one of those never going to be students. And then high school, it's like, yeah, here's, here comes the bees. Uh, and then college, <laughs> my first semester of college, I, I got on academic probation within, oh my gosh. within the first semester. And I was like, okay, that was a little wake up call. And <laughs> I think I got, my parents have always been really supportive. And I talked to a lot of people who are out of college and they would kind of tell them, they give me the wrong advice, which I appreciated. And they're like, Hey, listen, unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or some specialty, um, if you don't know what you're doing, like just go there for the experience. Don't kill yourself trying to get A's because guess what? When you go out to the real world, no one's looking at your GPA. Um, That's right. Well, it's, it's kind of figuring out what you don't want to do, right? Or what you're not interested in. I, I get a lot, I do a lot of consulting, you know, let CEO clients that are our age and older. And, you know, goes, my 20 year old never talked to me. You know, you talk to him, Brant, you tell him what's going on. And, and I tell him something that probably the CEO parents don't want to hear is I said, try a bunch of different things. Figure out what you don't like to do. That's important when you're young. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And, and studies have come out recently as, as it pertains to pro athletes. And how some of the best pro athletes in the world sample a lot of different sports and right. you know, hard to right. and no one. So yeah. that's that applies across the board. Speaking of sports, uh, you know, were there outside interests in school? We're talking now again, you know, elementary, secondary school. Did you did you play football, baseball, basketball, and music, theater? You know, what, what were your distractions? Yeah, um, I played it all. Uh, you know, I was exposed to a lot, and I, I did football, basketball, baseball, tennis. Um, were, were my core kid sports. Right. Um, I gravitated towards what I was best at, and I wasn't riding the bench at, which is uh, individual sports. You can't you can't sit out and tennis while someone else plays. So <laughs> I just or golf. I, yeah, I mean, I wasn't. You know, my dad played college ball, and I didn't. I didn't get the height or the the jumping ability that he did. So I I was sitting on the bench lot. I'm like, this sucks. So I. <laughs> I, I really enjoy uh, tennis. I still play it today. Yeah. You know, uh, golf is is a is a hobby that I picked up about a decade ago. Really now, now, you said the entrepreneurial bug bit you early, and it's pretty much been your career. But but again, going back to those early days, what what was the first entrepreneurial thing that you pursued? You know, either when you're in your single or early double digits. Uh, yeah, I'll give you two answers. The, the quick one that didn't last long was uh, every year this public golf course would drain the pond for someone to go out and collect all the golf balls <laughs> that landed in it. And looking back on it, I kind of feel bad that I go in there and collect all these golf balls and put them in milk cartons and sell them on the corner uh, until one day my little sister threw a golf ball into the street and shattered a window. And oh, no. That The golf ball, used golf ball business didn't. It went away at that point. Quickly ended, yeah. But my, my, my first legit business venture uh, was that, um, you know, my parents said, hey, we're going to pay for half your school and you're going to 
either take on student debt or figure out a way to pay for the other half or, or both. And so um, I did the math that, you know, back then, hey, back then, that was 20 years ago, uh, minimum wage was six bucks, maybe seven, maybe an hour. And I had friends working at the ice cream shop in the sandwich place. And I'm like, well, I, I want to make, I want to, I would make a lot more than that. And so I started a deck refurbishing business. So I bought nice. a washer and, and put flyers in mailboxes and, yeah. And lo and behold, people called me, and so I'd go power wash decks and stain them and paint them, clean them. Love it. Um, hired some of my uh, my buddies at school to, to do bigger jobs, and and uh, yeah, this, that was my first uh, first foray in entrepreneurship. Now, was the goal to save towards college, or did mom and dad kind of say, "I'll take care of that," and that spending money, or kind of combination of both? Uh, no, that was to pay for college. Well, wow. and. and and have spending money. I mean, um, I, I was, I very much had the parents who did not give me a, a lot of money. And I, I, I didn't like it at the time. Right. I was so grateful that, you know, I, I literally, I was that kid with, with overdraft fees in my bank account because I'd never had more than $200 in there. Right. At, at, at any given time. Did you think you learned the value of money early? Was that one of the lessons that came up or, or did you just, did you just love making it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I loved I loved the the unlock power that, that I found money gave me, and, and and again at this time I'm just trying to like buy books, right, <laughs> so, right, uh, and, and you know maybe go out to to dinner uh, here and there, and, but it, yeah, it was literally just to survive. And, and yeah, that that it was the same story post college. It was just pure survival. So you went to Indiana University. Was was that a kind of a foregone conclusion? Did you apply to a bunch of different places, or did you know that's where you wanted to go, or had to kind of stay local to keep in the budget? I think kind of all of the above. I, I went, my cousins are, are from you know a little further south, and so you know one of my cousins that I, I really looked up to went to Ole Miss, and I, I I visited him there and really liked that school. It's, it's a different country. For yeah. I was a Yankee going down south, and I'm like, "What? Is, these people talk funny." They're, they're, but I loved it, so I applied there. Uh, got in there. My um, uh, Ohio was another school that, that I applied to, um, but it was just frankly too expensive. And you know, growing up in Fort Wayne, I was, uh, and going to a Catholic grade school and high school, I was always a big fan of Notre Dame, and I didn't even bother applying there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and, you know, and I, I had a lot of friends in Indiana University that I visited over here, so it was, it, it, I, I didn't settle for it. I really just felt it was the best fit for me. What did you end up getting your degree in? You know, funny enough, uh, I ended up giving, it's called SPIA, the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Oh, interesting. And I wanted to learn more about business, and I wanted to learn more about management, but I'll, I'll be honest, I took the easy way out. Um, the Kelly School of Business is uh, a very good school, um, but I didn't want to work that hard. <laughs> I, I still wanted to get the, the management uh, you know, education and degree. Uh, and so I'll, I'll be honest, took the easy way out and, uh, and graduated with a degree in, in public company management, or I'm sorry, nonprofit company management. And ironically, I've been, uh, I started and have been. Kind of, I'm on the board of a charity that I started, called Chat Charities, uh, about a decade ago. So, ironically, 
I, I am kind of doing what I do. You still use it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And did you work through college? Did you, you know, have ongoing jobs? Did you, you continue to do the deck refurbishing business while you're in school? Yeah, the, the deck refurbishing business was my primary job. Uh, yeah. I, I washed dishes at a sorority across the street. Nice. For other reasons, not money. Well, I'm sure you got a meal or two out of it, too. Yeah. Every and now and then. Uh, some free food and some and some first dates. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, graduated from college. What was the first job you took? So, the first job I took out of college was an awful job in Chicago. Uh, I was it was called Chicago Apartment Finders, and people would come in looking for an apartment, and we were a brokerage company, a listing company that had uh, access to available apartment inventory in Chicago. And I would literally drive people around all day with tons of keys in my pocket to open doors and show them apartments. And it was a 100% commission job, and it was just brutal. Wow. You, you literally eat what you kill and yeah. you get a hustle because if you don't, there's zero paycheck. Yeah. How long did you last? About a year. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, at the, and at the same time, I... I couldn't afford to live off of you know sparse, sparse commission checks. Sure. So I was uh, waiting tables and the side hustles. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, bartending and uh, kind of taking my my victory lap for the first couple years out of college, and not not getting into the the grind too quickly. Right. Well, when did the entrepreneurialism start? Because I don't think you had two more jobs before you started your first company, right? Yeah, I, I was the uh, personal banker at Wells Fargo for a stint. That was uh, awful. <laughs> Just not wired that way. Right. Um, and then uh, I, my brother lived in Los Angeles. He, he's a theater major and, and moved out to, to make it big and be an actor. And um, it used to happen just a blast out there, aka waiting tables as well. Um, but when him and I would get, get together, we would just brainstorm about all, all this crazy fun stuff we could do. So I moved out to L.A. Uh, to, to figure it out, really. I mean, I didn't have a job. I, got, I ended up getting a job as an office manager at a really cool creative agency in Hollywood where I was just a, a gag with amazing artists who did you know, all the billboards and print posters for Harry Potter and, and you know, these big tentpole movies and um, I've always been really interested in, in, in the creative side of yeah. advertising and how how things get made. Uh, so as the office manager, I was privy to a, a, what everyone was doing there across all the departments. Um, and they they all taught me Photoshop, uh, which by the way, anyone listening to this, if you can learn Photoshop, it's a very valuable tool in life. Um, you, can, you can have a lot of fun with it too. Um, so when I, I not only learned Photoshop, but I learned about the internet and how it was monetized. Yeah. So what year are we now? You're, you're what, early 20s? and Yeah, 24, 25-ish. Yeah. Uh, and so at the have same we, Have we crossed into the new century yet, or are we still in the 90s? No, no, no. We're definitely 2005. So okay, 2005, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and this was, for context, uh, 2005 is the year YouTube started. That's right. Yeah, and so yeah. people think the internet is, is older than it is, and it's really not. It's just accelerated quickly. Right. And you know, in the in the media world, it, it's all about how many 
how to monetize people's attention. Yeah. And, you know, are you going to sell tickets to a movie to get people's attention? Are you going to run ads within the app or the, the website to get their attention? And this was back before apps existed. Um, right. You know, it was before the iPhone, so I still had my flip phone back then. <laughs> That's right. The, the internet was just becoming a thing and a, and a place where people could go to not just get informed and entertained. And my agency was on the forefront that I worked at was on the forefront of creating very cool, dynamic, uh, visually appealing ads for the entertainment industry. And so their clients were the Discovery Network, so TLC and the Travel Channel. Right. Um, and as well as you know, HBO as a client, and so I had a- oh, was was that Evolve Media, Leo? Is that what we're talking uh, about? That was right before Evolve Media. Before Evolve, uh, okay. it's just yeah. Uh, and I went from there to Evolve. Uh, yeah. Evolve is a, is is an agency that represents publishers, aka websites, right? Uh, who who are big but not big enough to support their own ad sales team. But they had large enough traffic that it was very desirable and monetizable. And so Evolve Media had, it would roll up verticals of websites into like celebrity gossip, into mob blogs, into uh, gaming, into UFC fighting. Cool. And, and then they would sell against the larger aggregate of audience on a vertical level. And that's how you can have back in the day. Yeah. Awesome. When, when did you start managing people? Was it uh, at one of those agencies, or did that come later? Managing people came when I started uh, my first business, and that yeah. was uh, that was a website called thechive.com. Yeah, uh, and that that was a, a website that my brother and I started where we aggregated content from websites all over the world, uh, primarily a photo blog. Uh, it literally, I'll use the word blog because that's that's what it was. Right. Uh, we we learned WordPress, uh, and if you knew how to use Microsoft Word, you can use WordPress. And and this is where Photoshop came in handy. You know, we were able to resize photos and trim them and, and reduce the file sizes and and, and make memes. You know, embellish them, put text on the photo photo, and you know, make jokes. And, and, uh, and that's still very relevant today. It's still a thing where people see down photos and memes. Uh, and, yeah. and so we were just really early to that trend. Uh, and, and the reason we did it is because I knew how to monetize it. Uh, right. And, and if I, I told my brother, I was like, hey, if we can create a really cool destination that people go to every day and we get millions of people to go there, uh, we can make a lot of money. Because I've seen it, I've seen it happen with these other one to two man or woman shows uh, who are running these small blogs, making millions of dollars a year. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, so for us, we we did what we were interested in, and you know, it's, it was funny pictures where we had our internal model was like when you when you're curating content, um, guys are very simple. And by the way, we're both two dudes who just like uh, to make each other laugh. And right, they, right. I think that's a pretty basic definition of guys at the end of the day. We're pretty, we're pretty <laughs> Young guys in particular. Yeah, especially. <laughs> where, you know, I mean, how often do you see a funny picture on your phone and you're sitting next to someone and you show them your phone and you're like, hey, you check this out. Right. Uh, and so for us, that was it. It was like, it, it, we had this, if we could create something really cool and it, that someone on the other end who's enjoying this content would say, hey, dude, grab your beer and come check this out. And then they would come over and they'd look at it. And really what I'm describing is, is 
as, as a, the viral nature of content. Yeah. And, right. and instead of literally saying, hey, come check this out, people would copy and paste the link and they put it in the email and they would send it to people and they'd text it to people. And so the chatting became extremely popular and very fast because we created uh, really the, world, the world's first viral photo website. Cool. And it grew organically without any outside funding. We hired people as we could afford. Um, and all we wanted to do was just quit our day jobs. I mean, that was the, like, I can make 60 grand a year on my own. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to retire in five years. Right. So that was what I was thinking in my head. Right. Um, and it blew up. It got really big. How did you, what were you, were you selling ads or how did you monetize it? Yeah, we sold ads, and then uh, we also sold merchandise. And so we had the we had the mentality of, well, people are at the movies, let's sell some popcorn. Um, our popcorn was T-shirts and hats, and so Got it. Yeah. Uh, we were really early to the content to commerce play. Yeah. And so it's, it's now a big thing these days, but back then it was... That'd be very lucrative. you get good margins on stuff, too, right? Yeah, T-shirts are pretty cheap to, to, yeah. to create, but we figured out logistics and customer service and all that. We, today, the, the business is still alive and rocking, and it's a, it's a big e-commerce website at this point. So, so you and your brother have been on a journey, and it's been, you know, gosh, about, I guess, 10, 10, 15 years, I think, that took you from there up until Atmosphere, and we don't have time to go through every single startup, but give me kind of a flavor of the common thread that led you from those early days, you know, with that first website and the blog, as you would call it, and, and, and selling content and, and popcorn and, and, and drinks, um, to, to Atmosphere today. What, you know, if, if you had to kind of draw that arc of uh, continuity between all those things, what, what would that be? Uh, I think it's just evolution. Um, you know, there's a classic saying called evolve or die, and we're seeing that play out right now. I mean, yeah. we saw it with Netflix, and no one thought that Blockbuster would ever go away, but they didn't evolve fast enough and they died. Uh, so, so for well, Netflix had a big hit this week, right? And he said, oh, oh, oh yeah, brutal. Yeah. How much did the stock yeah. go down? I didn't actually look and see. But. Since the beginning of the year, 65%. Ooh, ouch. ouch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the sun doesn't shine forever. Uh, and, and, and you know what? Guess what? Netflix will evolve and they're going to start selling ads. Yeah. And they're going to make a lot of money doing it. Um, yeah. But for us, the Chive uh, was early and we were blessed with a lot of success because we, we had this thing called First Mover Advantage. Uh, and so, and we weren't competing against Instagram at the time. We right. were competing against Snapchat and TikTok. So I think the common thread of what what got us from the Chive to Atmosphere is we evolved the Chive from a desktop blog to native iOS and Android apps where we've had over 50 million downloads of our app because we were early to the app store and yeah. for iPhone and Android. Uh, and then and at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is, is grow your audience. The bigger the audience you have, the more ads you can sell and the more merchandise you can sell. Right. And so when we saw this this thing called OTT, over the top television, now affectionately called connected TV or streaming television, so you're streaming a lot these days. Right. We thought, well, we got we're really good at curating content and entertaining the masses on on people's phones and on their computer. Why not parlay that on the TV screens? Sure. So we we created a um, what what they call on the Roku platform an app. We built an app called Chive TV. 
But I remember we didn't call it an app. We call it a TV channel. Right. Like, for years, the barriers of entry to get a TV channel were you just couldn't do it. You had to be a huge network and a conglomerate yep. like Discovery or Scripps or Warner uh, to get a TV channel. Where we saw the opportunity to get our own TV channel with, with super low barriers of entry. But we need people to discover us and watch us. So instead of marketing Chive TV, which is just a, uh, the program formula is all the best stuff from the internet packaged into theme compilations. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just super entertaining, highly relevant, fresh uh, content. A lot of user-generated content, but then a lot of really cool stuff from our partners at Red Bull or outside TV uh, that we supplement in there. Uh, yeah. And instead of competing with Netflix and HBO and now Disney, Warner, and the list goes on, uh, we decided to take our platform and market it to the out-of-home uh, world, yeah, right. aka what we call the third space. And that's bars, restaurants, gyms, medical office waiting rooms, all the parent rooms, car washes. Uh, and, and we're pushing our content in front of, of people instead of pulling them into our app. Um, and so we have a lot more control of our growth in, in that respect. And you know, we own the rails. We're not beholden to other platforms. So early days, we saw a ton of traction with Chai TV. It became very popular within specifically bars and restaurants. Um, how did we get our customers? Well, we got on the Chive that has you know hundreds of millions of people on it and say, hey, do you own a bar and restaurant and manage one? And would you right. watch Chive TV? And so, sure enough, a lot of people raised their hands, and that's how we we seeded the market. Uh, and this is 2015, right? So it's going on seven years that, that it's taking to get to where we're at right now. Uh, and instead of just doubling down and focusing solely on Chive TV and bars and restaurants, we looked at all those industries I just mentioned and thought, wow, there's a huge opportunity for anywhere where there's a, a retail customer with a television screen and dwell time. That, that what's on those TV screens and the answer is cable and it's on you with closed captions. So, you know, we, we just feel that, that television program for businesses uh, isn't broken. It was never right in the first place. Right. And uh, we wanted to solve that, not, with, not just with Chai TV, but with a whole, uh, a whole rundown of, of TV channels made specifically for audio optional entertainment and businesses. You know, where we're sitting at today is we've, over 60 channels on the platform um, that, that cater to all these different business types. Yeah, super cool. How big is the organization today? How many people and what's your span of, uh, of uh, influence, so to speak? Yeah, so we've been growing quite a bit, uh, especially recently. We've It's what, April? We've already we've already hired over 200 people this year alone. Wow, this year? Um, oh, gosh. So what, what's your total population? So Atmosphere's got uh, about 400 people, and we're going to end the year around 700. This kind of forward pacing. Fantastic. Huge growth. And, um, you know, I know you guys have got some venture capital support. We actually met through your PE firm, or one of them anyway. Yeah. And uh, has that been, a, a, a you know, the first time you've kind of pursued outside money to help grow the business, or has, have you done that previously? No, we've not. We didn't raise any outside capital for the Chive because we we just sold a lot of T-shirts and that that funded the growth in that business. Right, right. Um, it, I have experienced raising capital for uh, a golf company that we started with Bill Murray called William Murray Golf, and yep. we raised some money for that. 
Um, but nothing to the to the magnitude that we have uh, with atmosphere where we raised uh, about 150 million uh, over the course of the past ten yeah. years, and that's that's how we're able to grow as fast as, as we are. As sure. And how's that going? Is you know, if you, you and your brother have been kind of running the show for for many many years, and now you've got these outside partners, has that been supportive? Has it been restrictive? Is it kind of a mixture of both? Uh, it's been incredibly supportive and value added. Um, yeah, and I was worried about that a little bit. Uh, sure. that, you know, we're, we we won't we'll be able to call the shots uh, and make it too many opinions at the table. But at the end of the day. Like the reason that these investors uh, put money towards our, our 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 product and our team and our vision and our opportunity was because they trusted us, uh, and and we've a lot of the management team that has been with Chai for the past decade is now the senior executive team at Atmosphere, and so collectively we've got it feels it, it, it sounds like more of a startup than it actually really is. It's, right. it's been an right. incubation of a business that spawned out of it. A fairly mature media company. Awesome. You know, it's the CEO's job to kind of communicate and uh, authenticate and propagate the company culture. What, what can you tell us about Atmosphere's company culture? What, what, what's unique and, you know, kind of different about what you guys do? Yeah, I think a lot of companies, uh, when they think about culture, try to force it a little too much. Uh, whereas we let it kind of organically happen mm. by hiring amazing people. And I know every CEO is going to say, we hire many people. Um, of course, that's what you want to do. Um, but it, it, we give a lot of weight to positivity and how and how that can be infectious in a workplace. And so if you're, I, I tell my managers this, like if there's someone on their team that's not really performing to, to what we expected of them, but they're just a great human being that smiles all the time. It's great to be around. Like, we're going to help that person. We're going to coach that person up and get them to where they need to be instead of yeah. some companies who may get shut the door. Um, so we put a hot, heavy emphasis on just positivity in general and, and not forcing culture. And I think, or defining it really, um, it's more of a feeling than it is you know, a, a, a list of adjectives that, that were created as like, pillars for your culture. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess we just let it happen organically and and you can see the results of of a good culture by employee churn. And we're having a lot of fun here on a rocket ship ride. And we rarely get an employee that quits the company. It may happen like once every month at this point. That's awesome. You have three words on your LinkedIn profile that I love. Full of gratitude. <laughs> tell, tell me about that. What, you know, what, how does that exemplify who you are and what you try to do? Yeah, yeah I think it's, for me, it's just about perspective and, um, and knowing when enough is enough. And, and I've met a lot of really successful people along my journey. And, and you've heard this before, you know, you, you can meet a lot of really miserable, successful people. And, yeah, yeah. and I just don't want to ever get to that place. And so I'm just thrilled to have gotten this far. Like I said earlier, like if I could have made 60 grand a year, I mean, I was a bachelor with no kids, but that's all, that's all I've ever wanted. Um, I, I've definitely kind of exceeded that a little bit over the past, over, you know, my post-college life. And so yeah. can, I think as a society, we always want more, 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 more. 
and um, and I want more out of my business, and we want more customers, more revenue. Uh, but if you really just stop and take a breath, like it's pretty freaking cool right now. Like, yeah. sure, we want to keep driving towards more, but I'm just grateful for what yeah. we've been able to accomplish. Awesome. I have an amazing wife and family, and, and um, I'm super blessed with their health and my health. And, and yeah, just, I'm just the first words that come out of my mouth and my feet at the floor. I love it. I, I think you are like me. The, the more grateful you are, the more great things come your way. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to live. We're running out of time, but I got a couple other questions I want to make sure we get in here. What, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire these I think authenticity. Um, you know, we live in a world where people's personas are manufactured on social media, yeah. and and I, I really don't like interviewing people over Zoom. Um, we've had to do it at, at, during the pandemic, and yeah. I'll tell you what: the people that we've hired from in-person interviews versus the people that we hired via Zoom, there's definitely uh, it's definitely better up to. In case someone's listening, <laughs> you interviewed via Zoom, um, you get more of a, of a of a connection and a gut feeling when you sure. in person. So I'm always looking for someone who's authentic, and I don't really read people's resumes. To be honest with you. How do you get at that? How do you get at authenticity? You know, maybe you have 35, 40 minutes. I mean, at the time you, pe- you see people, you know, other people have interviewed them, their qualifications have been checked, maybe you've worked with recruiters and so forth. But, you know, how do you kind of drill in? I, I tell well. I tell my uh, my my managing the managers who are doing a lot of the hiring. I tell them to like make sure they're not a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just knock off the negatives first. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. And again, this comes down to to the culture question you asked earlier. If you get a good vibe from a person, um, it, it's it's hard to define. It's not. It's not a test that they can take, but if you have a good rapport with someone, that that just goes a long way. If, and even people say, oh, "I wouldn't hire someone unless I can have a beer with them." Uh, there's a reason for that. You know, it's, you want to get to know someone um, in an authentic, personal way, uh, not just their resume or referrals. Right, cool. Last question, and, and we ask this of all our guests. What kind of career and life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eyes on that corner office themselves or, or perhaps like you want to be an entrepreneur someday and start that company? It's so easy to say, but harder to do. But I just say go for it. Um, but I'd also, we have a saying here called take the shot, but take it easy. Um, and, oh, you know, wait, repeat that again. Take the shot, but take it easy. But take it easy. And, and everyone's heard Wayne Gretzky's quote about knowing to take the shot. Um, and I think that's only half of it because I've met a lot of people who have taken the shot and made the leap to go start a new business, which is very, it's very risky. It's very intimidating uh, depending on where you are in your life with your family and financial obligations. Um, and so it's a lot easier for me to sit here and say that because when I started my business, I didn't have the, the financial pressure that some other people might. Uh, and so when you do take the shot, it comes, it's like pushing the snowball down the mountain. You got to be all in on it and you can't, you can, you can give up on it. If you realize, Hey, this, this idea isn't working, like pull the cord on it. Don't, don't kill yourself trying to make it happen. But if it's working, 
you're, you're on a hamster wheel at that point and you've got to keep it going. And that can be really exhausting. And so my advice when I say take the shop and take it easy is, is it, to any entrepreneur that is looking to start a business is like, go for it, but don't kill yourself doing it because it's very stressful. And there's a lot of pressure to succeed um, because it, it was your idea. It was your vision. And a lot of people are relying on you, especially when you're hiring employees. Um, you want to succeed, uh, but make sure you don't work too much doing it. And you take time for yourself to, to go for a walk or go work out or just go think, uh, but just don't work all the time. All right. Makes good sense. Well, Leo Rezik, co-founder and CEO of Atmosphere.tv, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 